Diamond, how are you doing? Jonathan Yee. Yes, sir. That's me. How you doing, man? I'm good. I asked you how you're doing. Why are you ignoring my question, bro? Oh, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's, I think it's like an impulse reaction. Right. What is it? I was joking. What is it? That week? is true. Yeah. What is We're going so to week eight. eight. Yeah. Week eight. How's, how's your week seven? Bro, how was your week seven? I, I, I don't know how it was for you, but it was real, real rough for me. Um, arguably the roughest week I've had this, um, this, no, for sure. The weakest week. Well, what am I saying? The roughest week, right? This semester, arguably one of the roughest top five roughest weeks I've had, you know, in my time at Cal Poly Pomona. Really? Arguably. Yeah. I mean, I came off three tests. I, I, I should give context. I had a test Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And, and normally that that's like, Oh, you know, what about finals week? I don't know what it was. But um, I, I'm doing a project as well. And when, when, when you're doing a project and, you know, you also have these and like my project, you know, leads are very understanding and they're like, yeah, you have midterms. I want you guys to focus on that. But even with that, you know, like it's still a bit rough. So and, and Andrew, I'm pretty sure you can understand it's, it's still a bit rough, right? Even with sounds like you're the one that needs a drink this week. <laughs> oh, right, right. I may need a drink, but I, I, I'm one to abstain from for now. So before, you know, you can have one for me and you, you might want to tell me what I will be drinking vicariously through you. What, what, kinda, what are we drinking I, today? I'm a little nervous opening this because the debacle that we ran into last time, <laughs> oh, so I'm being extra cautious, um, tapping the lid, but I'm drinking. Is it good? Oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. It is the brewery mischief. It's a hoppy Belgian style ale that I'm pretty excited. I see. Are you into but, hop, yeah. hoppy, hoppy beers? Yeah, yeah, I enjoy them. I see. But, you know, I'm not a beer expert, probably going to get roasted for anything I say, <laughs> but that's fine. But, yeah, this week was pretty rough. Let's, let's let the people know that we studied harder for one of our tests than we have for other finals. And this was just a midterm, right? One of five, but we had we put easily in two days over 12 hours into oh, just... That's being conservative. And that's being conservative, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I think we put but we think, hours in one day. But we think it went okay. I actually, I, you don't know this, but I got my grade for the first test today. Oh, no way. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty good. Oh. Better better than I thought. Really? Yeah. So I'm are, happy are with it. Are we talking like, like, I mean, okay, no, we could we could talk about this later. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good to know because I'm still, um, th this uh, particular grading order is, is, is alphabetical order. And what Andrew's it seems. last name is Diamond. And that, that means he's letter four, like he's the fourth letter in the alphabet. However, I'm Jonathan Yee, and, and you spelled it with a Y. And so I'm basically last. And Dead so, last. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. But that's good to hear because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be that, – that gives me a good gauge because I feel like we kind of studied around the same amount, right, for this. Because we basically studied together for this test. Yeah, and this, the past one. But, yeah, this week was, was rough, but uh... – this week coming up should be kind of a relax. I feel like the work's piling on though really quickly before we go into spring break because oh, yeah. we have tests right before spring break. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, at least it's just one test from my understanding. I don't know. Do you have any? Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. That is true. Could be his top test. Oh, no. I don't think that's ever happened. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a pop uh, test? No, <laughs> not, not that I can remember, but don't give them any ideas because that'll <laughs> be happening next week then. Oh, gee. So what are we talking about today, Johnny? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about something I, I think I personally think is very exciting. We're talking about the future and not just any future, but the future of aerospace. And what? Uh, well, uh, a girl would have thought think- on an aerospace nerd show, we're talking aerospace. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Shocking, right? But I think, I think these, uh, this is a topic that a lot of people actually kind of know what you know this is, and we're being very ambiguous here, right? But a lot of people have heard about something like this, but they don't quite have a, a grasp of what it is and the, the future of it, and so. Andrew, do you want to do the honor of, you know, presenting what we're going to be talking about today as I gave this whole preface? Yeah, you really built it up, but we're talking about supersonic vehicles, specifically uh, supersonic, well, not necessarily only supersonic planes, right? but that's primarily the focus of it. Right. And I think, oh yeah, go on. Sorry, it might be. No, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, I really love supersonics because, you know, we could get into it, but supersonic, my favorite plane happens to be supersonic. Um, and it's, and we'll talk about that a little bit while you're laughing. Cause you know <laughs> no, what I'm go talking about. No, 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 let's hear it. No, no, no. You, you can share about your favorite, one of your favorite planes in the future, um, in, in the near, you know, in the near future in a couple of, you know, like probably like 20 minutes. Right. Um, but let, let me add on to what Andrew was saying. We're, we're talking about supersonic, right. And that's what I was saying. Like a lot of people know what supersonic is. And I, I am one to also be, um, someone that has, I guess, like fallen into this category. I thought supersonic was cool, but I didn't necessarily know what it was. So that's a, that's a great point. But why don't you explain to everybody that's listening that may not know what right, supersonic okay. flight is? That is great. Um, and we're actually, we're actually talking about something hypersonic as well, which is, a, there's a difference. There, there is a difference. Yeah, there's a One difference. Faster. <laughs> <laughs> I love that pause. So if, if I were to explain supersonic just in a very you know blatant term, it's basically when you go beyond the speed of sound, right? It's anything beyond and 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 in aerospace and in, in just just in general, the way that we measure how fast we're going is is we we call it mock. I that's I, is that a unit? Yeah. Is mock a unit? It's a unitless measurement, basically. It's like right. a radian. It's like yeah. it's yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's Mach one would be when you have, when you're going at the speed of sound, right? Yes. Yes. And then once you surpass Mach one is when you're approximately, you know, when you have surpassed the speed of sound and that's when you hear something called the sonic boom. And that's when you get uh, the breaking of the sound barrier. And you know, that's, that's where the cool stuff happens. Now I've heard a sonic boom before. It's, it's, it's quite scary. Um, I've never heard it. I've never been lucky enough. Well, you've seen some, you've seen some cool things yourself. So Never I, I got to have a couple, but yeah, yeah, you got that one up on me. Yeah, so the, yeah, supersonic. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Just one of <laughs> one of a couple of things, you know. But supersonic, you know, flight is basically going to be anything where you're flying at the speed or even faster than the speed of sound. And then now the distinction of hypersonic is okay. It's just faster, but it's actually going Mach five and beyond is like the general consensus, and that also is known as how fast our professors expect us to do our tests and quizzes, hypersonic <laughs> speeds. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, they have their reasons. I'll say that. But yes, um, hypersonic speed is just extremely fast. And supersonic is also very fast. If you guys want an approximation of what supersonic speed would be in Imperial units in miles per hour, it'd be approximately 700 miles per hour. Andrew gave me like this dirty look like he's like, why is he even doing that? I, I'm uh, sorry. I was just, I, I thought, I just thought of all the people saying like Imperial units, what is that? And then like, oh. you know, people judging us saying, that they're superior because their unit sorry, systems are better. Sorry, we're American and we use feet, we use Fahrenheit, we you know, and I'm you know I I like using it. I grew up on it, but I do see the allure and and the convenience of using, you know, SI units. I'm but, a hypocrite because I like to I I like to mix. It depends on what I'm doing, so I'll yeah. I'll admit that I'm a hypocrite. Andrew, being a structures guy, he loves using American units or Imperial units when it comes to structures. This but that's true. that's where it stops basically right uh, yeah just about because i i like it's also uh god we're getting so sidetracked but it's okay <laughs> uh like i feel like a psi or you know a foot and a pound those are very tangible for us right we've grown up with mm -hmm. them you know we know what that looks like what that you know feels right, like right whatever but you know what's a newton i know you're gonna be like oh newton is because you've done it before you're, you said <laughs> but that's not you know what i mean I don't know what I did. Only talk about, bro. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna basically be talking about if we were to bring it back, right? We're talking about supersonic flight, uh, or just things that go supersonic. And there are a couple things that are happening in industry that are pretty cool. These are things that are being developed now. I don't think any of these have actually come out in production yet or have a final design, right? So these are pretty cool things that are happening and um, are things that. If you guys are interested in aerospace, you guys, by the time you guys graduate, you guys might be working on these things as well. Or if you guys are um, in the industry, you guys may already be a part of the development team that's on this, or maybe you guys aren't, but it's still something that is happening in aerospace, which is very exciting or sometimes even scary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, aerospace goes into how many different categories, like a very generalized, uh, I would, I would point out one being um, like commercial use. And then yes. what's, what's another very big one for at least the U.S., Andrew? Defense, baby. Yeah, that's where I want to go. <laughs> Department <laughs> of Defense. America and their defense industry. Yes, sir. And then the last one would be research. We're pretty heavy on research as well, right? So those are the three kind of ones we want to hit on. And so, I mean, Andrew, do you want to carry away with your, your, uh, your little baby? Yeah. So <laughs> I think one of the cool, well, okay, let me start with this. Johnny, do you know <laughs> when the last time a commercial supersonic flight took place? I mean, I would assume it was by the Concorde. It was by the Concorde and it was in 2003 when the Concorde was retired. And since we're building up to it, yes, Concorde is one of my favorite planes. I think it's really cool. It was a failure. I am aware it was just ahead of its time, as people like to say, and I agree. But there's a returning Concorde, if you will. Um, I don't know if I necessarily should say that. I don't know if the company wants to be branded that because I don't know if that's, you know, there's a lot of uh, similarities between this company and, and the Concorde. And so the company is called Boom Supersonic. They basically want to do the same thing that Concorde did is create faster travel uh, to trans uh, transcontinental flights. 
and basically want to cut flight time in half. So they want to, they want to re-revolutionize, I guess you could say, commercial supersonic flight. And so they actually, last year and this year is a pretty big year for them. They rolled out their uh, boom. It's called XB1. It's their flight test vehicle. And they'll be doing a lot of flight test and research on that vehicle. Uh, but the, the, it, it, so for those of you, let me actually, let's take a step back. Um, the Concorde is actually one of the first supersonic vehicles that was commercially transporting people to other countries. And so it had a pretty, pretty niche market because at the time um, it went way over budget and basically the Concorde also went in, it was in this really bad time when the price of oil went up a tremendous amount. And so the prices of the Concorde tickets to fly in it went through the roof basically. Mm -hmm. So it went from being a, a kind of business class ticket to being something that basically only the wealthy could wealthy business class could afford. And the idea was, you know, you could have lunch in Paris or have a meeting in Paris and then make it home for dinner to your family. And so people that were, you know, business, uh, you know, people that traveled the world, they saw the, the, the justification, I guess, if you, if you will. And it was the first vehicle to go over Mach 2 um, and, and transport people commercially. And so basically what Boom is, wants to do is something very, very similar. They want to take people from all around the world and be able to cut their travel time in air in about half. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically what they want to do is pave the repave, I guess you could say, the way for commercial supersonic flight. Because at the time of the Concorde, supersonic flight was, you know, very popular and they thought it was potentially the future. But um, it just didn't work out. They realized that the sonic boom was a much bigger problem than it than they thought it would be initially. Um, they ran a lot of supersonic boom testing in, I believe it was Ohio, um, where they basically exposed people to constant 24 hours a day supersonic booms. And within, I think, like 20 days of the program starting, it, it got shut. There was complaints and it got shut down. Is this the Concord? It, it wasn't, so they, it was in preparation for the Concorde. Oh, wait. They, but it was just. Sorry, go on. It, it was, they were just testing sonic booms in general. So they were testing a European plane in Ohio. Well, <laughs> okay. At the same time that the Concorde was being developed, you have to remember Boeing SST was also in the works of being developed. That is a cool plane. I like that one. The Boeing SST was for those of you who don't know, we're going even more down the rabbit hole. That was, this is probably way cooler than the Concorde too. It just never came to fruition. Um, basically, the Boeing SST was a supersonic transport, just like the name suggests, and it was supposed to uh, transport two times the amount of uh, passengers than Concorde. But it was really expensive. They overshot the design, and they had this really intricate wing that you know Johnny saw the other day and thought it was amazing. Where is a variable uh, sweep wing? So at low at low speed, the wings would you know be fully extended like a regular plane, and then at supersonic flights, the delta wing, which is is better performance wing at high speeds, would fold back and you would get a delta configuration. But mm -hmm. it turns out that mechanism was way too heavy, way too complicated because you got to think this was all happening during the '60s and '70s. The technology since then has you know has exponentially grown, right? Right. And so that's one of Boom's biggest uh, points is that since the Concorde, we've had so much improvement um, 
in materials, in, in aerodynamics, in, in sciences, in flight control, all these things that basically made the Concorde a failure, all these improvements can make uh, Overture, which is actually the plane's name, Overture a much more successful supersonic transport vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so they plan on rolling out some time around, I believe it's 2029 or 2039. Mm-hmm. I might be mixing my days up, but yeah, they, they have a really cool program. And I, I'm super excited because, you know, I'm conc- oh, I saw this, I was on their website earlier. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to like this. You'll have to check it out. They have a Lego. They have a Lego of the plane. I No, I've seen it. I've seen it. I think it was, I was, because I saw their Instagram post on it and I was like, wait, they have a Lego set. Let me see how much it was. And it was like over a hundred bucks. I'm like, wait, first of all, th- this is not a legit Lego. It's not a brand, real Lego right? set. Well, which is okay. Because I mean, here, here's my thing with Lego. They don't do that many actual planes and or they haven't in, you know, the recent past. They've done it a while back. I think they've done the they've done the seven seven seven, right? And they've done the space shuttle orbiter. But aside from that, and and you can argue whether or not that's a plane. I believe that is a plane. But aside from that, those are the only two space planes. Plane. That, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. <laughs> it's a plane. <laughs> yeah, I agree, though it is a space plane. But um, aside from that, no, they don't really have that many you know sets out there that have been planes, and so. I'm kind of here, like I want to find a Lego set that's a plane, and I'm I'm happy to hear that Boom Supersonic does. Maybe I will, you know, maybe I will invest, you know, like a hundred bucks into it, but we'll see. I I almost pulled the trigger, and then I also <laughs> saw that they have, I I really find um like scale plane models, you know, like the really really nice right. ones. They have one of those too, and I was like, man, the, the, I like really the diecast want ones, right? Yes, uh, I so- really want it, but. It's over, it's like $150. So maybe I'll have to think about it. My For sister, sure. if you're listening, my birthday's coming up. Just saying. <laughs> Anyways, that's it about it for Boom Supersonic. Really cool company. Um, they actually just got one of Boeing's old CEOs as their oh, leads, I think. Um, one of them, huh? One of them, or they're one of their advisors, something like that. Mm-hmm. And and so the company has like a lot of potential to, you know, take supersonic transport to the next level like to where where concord really wanted to be right the way and like if i wanted to add on to this because i've done some of my research into boom supersonic and for those of you guys that don't know the history of the concord first of all the concord was the first plane to ever commercially fly supersonic yeah and it was the last plane to do so and there's reasoning good reasoning behind it but a lot of the designs that went into concord actually didn't come to fruition or there were designs that did happen, but the plane ended up not flying up to that par. Um, so for example, the plane was supposed to fly, I think at 60,000 feet. And I, do most planes fly? Was it, is it at 30,000? 30, 30, yeah. 30, 35,000 feet. But the reason for 60,000 feet would have been, you, you have less air up there, right? Everything's less dense. And so you can fly a lot more quickly without getting so much resistance. Um, the only issue that they basically stopped flying at that height was because of radiation, right? Is, was it, is that correct, Andrew? I, th- I think there was other issues associated with it too, but radiation was a big issue as well. Right. But if you fly at 60,000 feet, and this is one of the reasons why I want this plane to actually come into fruition. When you're flying at 60,000 feet, you actually see the curvature of the earth. You actually see black around you, yeah. right? You see this, you see space. You're arguably flying in space, 
right? Depends. Because space is, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we don't have an actual defined, like actual definition for space from my understanding. But um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. As far as I was told, I heard it's 50 Car- miles. The Carmen line is what is known as like officially space. So how high is the Carmen line then? Uh, I would ass- me- I would have assumed it would have been, I heard something like, if you're 50 miles above earth, but 50 miles seems pretty high. I don't 62 know. 62 miles. 62 miles. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if we were to convert 60,000 feet into, you know, 62 miles, you can now figure out whether or not that's actually space. But even, even if that isn't space, right? Imagine you're flying at supersonic speeds, right? And, and I think Andrew, like you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I've seen, they're trying to make these plane tickets the same price as business class tickets. So yeah. for some people that may not be affordable, but you know, if, if you wanted to splurge, let's say, right, you can splurge and, and fly supersonic and you get to see the curvature of the earth. You get to see a portion of what maybe you might see from the ISS if you're really close, I guess, um, right? But I think that's a really cool and like, it, it, I feel like I would want to make that a part of my bucket list if, you know, if I will the chance happens. It. Oh yeah. I will, you know, I, I think just to be able to say you went supersonic would be cool. And I don't oh. really realistically see myself being in the position to be in a, like a fighter or anything like that at any point in my life where I could mm. actually go supersonic. So yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll be doing it. If it come, if it, if the plane lives its life out, I'll be doing it for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I like, I think both of our girlfriends said no to us being astronauts. I don't know. I know my girlfriend told me you cannot be an astronaut. And I was like, why not? And she's like, it's dangerous. I'm like, I, don't, eh. I was like, but it's cool. <laughs> she's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And then, I, you know, I know I'm going on a little tangent here, but Andrew and I were like, yeah, let's build an airplane. And we're like, we're going to build this airplane. We're going to fly. And, and then both our girlfriends also said, you can build an airplane. You just can't fly. And we're like, we're gonna have to get someone else to fly our airplane then. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Maybe we'll just secretly fly it. I don't know if my girlfriend actually listens this far into the, she probably does, <laughs> but yeah, this um, is a test. I know it's a test. If you, if you hear what I'm saying, um, I will buy you a meal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's boom supersonic. I think I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I think there's a lot of, you know, potential there. And I think they're going to do a lot of the stuff because they're following after what Concord wanted to do, but wasn't quite able to achieve. So they're really, um, I mean, I, I, you know, Andrew, you may be offended by this. I debate whether or not it's really big shoes to fill, but I think they'll do, a, they'll learn from the mistakes that the Concord made. Are you saying that the Concord failed to live out its mission and I mean, goal? You, you, you said yourself that it was a, it was a failure. Yeah, it was an Uber failure. I would say. Yeah. It was, I, you know, I could say that I, I could see the, you know, it being ahead of its time though, for sure. Without a doubt. I think supersonic flight can potentially become a, a thing that is highly affordable and, um, you know, is something that could be a lot more, I guess, relevant in the, in the future. So yeah. Cool. Is agree. there something you want to say? No, no, no. I mean, there's, you know, you could talk so much about the Concord and like that could be a, a whole episode by itself, but yeah, if you don't know about the Concord, look it up. It's really cool, but let's talk about your, the vehicle you were looking into Johnny. All right, for sure. So the vehicle that I was, you know, there's there's a couple of them that I really want to talk about, but I think the 
I guess the one that might be a good one to go into next would be the SR-72. SR-72? Yeah. I think you mean the SR-71. There's no 72 <laughs> in production. Not in production, right? There's no SR-71 in production either, though. That's true. <laughs> I think, That's true. I think the SR-71 actually retired in 98, but... And they, 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 I think they have been flown since, but they're not actually used for reconnaissance anymore. But for those of you guys out there um, that do not know of the SR-71, it's a quite an iconic plane. It's probably one of the really big planes that made Lockheed Martin, you know, the company it is today. And that's, that's arguable because they have a lot of planes that came out. Another one that you guys might've heard of might've been the U-2, which is a very well-known plane, or maybe the F-117, right? And very recently, the F-35 and the F-22. But the SR-71 currently holds the record for the fastest plane ever produced. Right, right Andrew? I hope there's no other plane out there, right? No, not to my knowledge. Okay, I was, I was about to get my heart broken if there was another plane out there that was produced that you know was faster than the SR-71. Well, I, I mean, when you like... As in terms of a production, right? Flying, production right. flying, not not um, right? Because I, I think that is a very good point to bring up for those of you guys that don't know. Uh, a lot of aerospace companies they create company, uh, not companies, they create planes that are experimental or just proof of concept, but it just stops there, right? The X series, I guess, would be one of them, right? Is that is that a way? Is that what yeah, experimental is? Uh. Hyper, so yeah, it was basically NASA created HyperX, which was their hypersonics uh, experimental program. Mm -hmm. And it started with the X 43, I believe, and um, has since they developed. Well, it was, it's like a joint collaboration between a, two comp a few companies, but primarily NASA and Boeing. And, and since the X 43, Boeing has also developed the X 51 Wave Rider, which is not really a plane but it's a air vehicle mm -hmm. um so yeah there's all they, we always have like these experimental right. vehicles right yeah so if i were to really like dial it in and, and, and be as factual as possible the sr-71 is the fastest plane ever like produced like multiple productions right not you just could like, buy one if you wanted if you had the money <laughs> i, I, I I don't know about that. Maybe. I mean, they're, they're museum relics in a sense because they're so fast. There's like stories about them outrunning missiles in Vietnam during the Vietnam War because, and, and the pilots would just play around with these people over Vietnam. Not like these people, but it would be the communist party at the time. I'm trying to shoot the plane down and the plane would just, you know, go into full throttle and just run away from the missiles. Like the, the, this plane is amazing. Um, and basically the plane was created by Clarence Kelly Johnson, another iconic figure in aerospace. He's, he's the one that also created the U-2, but he created a, a branch of Lockheed Martin called Skunk Works. And basically, Skunk Works is another iconic um, branch in aerospace. And they are the ones that are developing the SR-72 at this point, from my understanding. And they are doing this and this is not supposed to be a supersonic plane. That's what the SR-71 was. I believe it hit up to Mach 3.2 or 3.3. Yeah, I, may... I know it's threes. I know it's threes. Yeah, I may be wrong on that, but the SR-72 is actually going to surpass that by quite a margin. It's supposed to go beyond Mach 6. So that's and a hypersonic. It is hypersonic, exactly. It's hypersonic. 
And this is the crazy part. I think you would really appreciate this, Andrew. I don't know if you picked up on this fact, but since metal tends to melt when you get beyond Mach 5, they need to create a new frame. So the SR-71 was built with titanium, uh, and it was it. people had to consider thermal expansion. The engineers had to consider thermal expansion because when you guys are going beyond Mach 1, Mach 2, Mach 3, right, you're going to get heating on, on the plane because the air is going by so quickly. You get air friction. However, for the SR-72, you're going to get speeds that are extremely high. So you go into Mach 5, Mach 6, and that basically melts metal, which right. is – so basically no plane is capable of that that's metallic. And so now they're considering composite materials, our favorite class, composite materials. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Composite materials. And it's supposed to be a mixture, I believe, of metal, um, resin, and ceramics that basically is supposed to show uh, – is supposed to handle – that kind of heat, which is crazy, in my opinion. We're not we're like we're not trying to create a plane that is metallic, but is instead going to be probably predominantly composite or well, almost be, all composite. Sorry for interrupting. That would be a lot like the shuttle. The shuttle main body was made primarily out of ceramic tiles. That that is correct. Yeah, it, it is based on ceramic tiles. So it is. It's. I mean, the SR seventy two is. <laughs> Why are you laughing, man? Is based off of the SR seventy two is uh, based off of old technology, older technologies like the the space shuttle orbiter. That is correct. So, yeah. Uh, sorry for interrupting again. Is the SR seventy two manned plane or is it unmanned? Um, it, it's supposed to be unmanned. I, I believe it, it. It's easier to create planes that don't have people in them. Uh, first and foremost. So I don't know about that. Some people would argue against that, right? They'd be like, there's a lot that goes into an unmanned plane. It is true. That that's true. I think it's um maybe, maybe I'm thinking from a space vehicle stance, but it's a lot easier to create a space vehicle that doesn't require keeping a human being healthy in it. That is true. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That is very true. That's where I'm coming from, but it's because this plane is so high speed. I mean, I guess if it's ramping up, you're not going to be experiencing, you know, a lot of G's all at once. But um, I would assume that the plane would relatively be easier to create unmanned. But you know what? Actually, you might be right. It might be different. So, yeah, it's supposed to be unmanned. They had testing for it to be manned, but I think they pulled back on that. And they're going to make it unmanned. And the goal of the SR-72 is supposed to be reconnaissance again just like the original but also it's supposed to strike targets immediately within one hour from arriving at the continent that it's supposed to be at so if the continent is north america it can hit a target in north america within one hour of it arriving on one of the coasts i would assume that would be the case that's what they said one hour i'm going to just trust them on it so you know if they're at the you know the bottom tip of i don't know africa and they need to get all the way up to Egypt, let's say, um, then they're, they're going to be able to get there, you know, and hit the target in one hour and get out of there real quick. So that's pretty, I'm pretty quick. Su- I'm pretty sure they'd be more strategic than go like, oh yeah, let's go from the bottom of Africa. But you know, that it, they, that's what they said it would be. And yeah, it's going to be very quick, very quick. So yeah, that's the SR-72, extremely cool plane. It's following after, um, I believe the same, similar size to the SR-71 actually. So, 
Yeah, it's, I, I wish and I hope that this plane does come around. It's a very cool plane that I would not mind even helping work on. I was going to say, you know, that's a plane you could work on. I know you've mentioned Skunk Works quite a few times. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would, I would not mind being a part of Skunk Works by any means. Now, I would consider them one of the, you know, I, I, I believe all aerospace companies that we generally talk about are the upper echelon and they're really good companies. But the Skunk Works, they just have a lot of history behind them creating the U-2, creating, I believe they created the F-117, which was the first stealth plane ever. Um, the F-22 probably came out of there too, and the SR-71, and these are all iconic planes that have come out. So yeah, very upper echelon, high esteemed, um, a lot of deep history in Skunk Works. So I would I definitely agree. not mind them um, taking me on as you know a potential employee or being a part yeah. of the team in the future. You hear that skunk works, Johnny Jonathan Yee is your man. Yeah, g- give me the full name, bro. Jonathan Livingstone Yee. That's right. <laughs> Look him up on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. I guess you guys can. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can connect with me. I'll connect with y'all. All right, for sure. So that's the SR72. What is else it, you got for us? Oh, okay. All right. I, I'll go again. All right. So, Andrew, how about this? I'll let you choose. We could talk about missiles or we can talk about more airplanes i guess <laughs> we can you know let's let's chug away at the defense train let's go missiles missiles okay all right so this one is a little bit more scary yeah andrew how, how much research have you done into this this one that we're talking about right now not a lot okay that's even better that's even better so this one is so we're going to be talking about hypersonic missiles and the reason for this is we already have supersonic missiles and these missiles are, of course, quite scary because they're going you know, beyond Mach 1. They're going real quick and real fast. However, hypersonic missiles are something that have not been achieved to a certain extent. There have been some out there, from my understanding, and there is a lot of development going into it. I think Russia is actually they're going to be releasing. They might have one soon. But the reason why hypersonic missiles are so in high demand or, or are wanted by the big one of the you know the biggest nations out there, which are the U.S., Russia, and China, are because there's no defense against a hypersonic missile. Right. Yeah. So if if a missile goes hypersonic, then um, there's no way that any sort of defense can actually go up against and try to prevent that missile from actually hitting its target. And so that's a very dangerous thing. And I mean, you know, it, we, I, it's it's just a part of I guess the way the world functions. It, not everybody wants to be out there, you know, creating missiles, but it, it, it is in a sense, you know, a, a means of defense for um, the citizens and a means of making sure that their, their country is safe. And so with that, uh, these countries, the US, China, and Russia are in, in the race to try to create hypersonic missiles. And so, yeah, basically, um, there are, I guess I should be going into the technology behind hypersonic missiles. Um, and it kind of falls in suit with the, how supersonic missiles work. Andrew, do you by any chance know how some ICBMs work? Yeah, so this may not be true for all, but the ones I've seen is it's launched extremely high. Um, and then it, it basically goes in, It goes into, it's like you throw, this is a really poor ex, uh, explanation, but imagine you're throwing a baseball really high 
straight, almost straight up in the air, you know, and you'll have a, a apex. Right. And then basically you at the apex, it, it targets in where it wants to go. It, it knows where it wants to go. And then it falls back to earth and it can be power assisted as well on the way back down. Right. That is basically what um, I see. I, that's how ICBMs work that are supersonic. Um, and that's basically what they also want to do with hypersonic missiles as well. So the way that these ICBMs and, and hypersonic missiles in the future will work is they get shot up really high into the air. They may, I, I think they were supposed to hit space actually. And what happens yeah, is- Yeah, I believe some do. Yeah, they, some, so they, they hit gravity. They, they use gravity as an assist to gain momentum and speed to be able to go hypersonic. And in the case of hypersonic missiles, they're going to be riding on their own shockwaves. <laughs> That's the crazy part. They're riding on their shockwaves that basically make it so that they go really high speed and they end up hitting their target. Yeah, so, so that that's yeah, actually on. one of the 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 reasons why X fifty one actually got its name. Boeing X fifty one is called the Wave Rider, and that's mm -hmm. because they engineered it. So I believe the the front inlet of the vehicle it it creates a sonic wave that basically allows the vehicle to ride that wave and to continue being propelled basically right right and the x51 i don't know if it's a flying body or what, what, what did you call it earlier it's it's a i called it a uh an air vehicle but it, ba it basically looks like a missile it's like it, a a small shark looking thing i guess you could describe it as yeah i believe the air force may be looking at it as a potential missile in the future from my understanding because from my research the x-51 is actually it's shown as hypersonic missile boeing x-51 yeah <laughs> and the I, source is from the u.s air force and so um that is you know hypersonic missiles basically and there's a you know the three big countries that are into it right now and surprisingly the u.s is actually falling behind on this China and Russia are supposedly ahead on this endeavor. And, you know, the U S wants you to think they're behind. Oh yes. They're, it's yeah. a game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of people are saying the U S is relying more on the, the jets that they have. And then they're relying a lot on, um, I guess their aircraft carriers that they have as well. And so they think that it, it would be, um, something that is sufficient enough for defense at this point. But the U.S. is still doing research into this. It's just that it's not as big of um, something that they're really into. But yeah, the hypersonic missiles, definitely something that is in the near future, I think. I think it's, it's not something that's going to go away. And I think it's something that is, I mean, it can be a problematic because from a political stance, imagine, you know, the leverage that a country could have if they're the only country to have hypersonic missiles, right? It's kind of like the nuclear war, but, you know, all over again, right? So it could be definitely dangerous. So this kind of technology can be used for good and bad, right? Right. And that yeah. was the one of the main drivers behind the Boeing X-51 was that other countries said that they had achieved hypersonic missiles. And so basically that was the response to develop a, a hypersonic uh, vehicle that you know could be used as a missile uh, but it will be seen what happens with the future of you know hypersonic ICBMs right right yeah and so I mean 
right? This is the reality of how things work. Things are some, some things are good. Some things are bad. Um, but you know, it's a scary thing, but that's kind of the world we live in. But I kind of wanted to transition from that into something that's probably kind of good, right? And this is something that I, I learned about probably first before anything else when it came to, um, I guess, supersonic technology that hasn't come out yet, which is something called the sonic thump. And it sounds really cute. <laughs> sonic thump. I've never heard of it. Only sonic boom. Only sonic boom. Wait, you've heard of the sonic thump through me then, right? That's what it yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, NASA and I believe Lockheed Martin. So, you know, Lockheed Martin doesn't just do, you know, scary things, but, <laughs> you know, they, they work alongside NASA and they, they created a plane called the X-59. And so this is what Andrew was referring to by the supersonic project that's going on, experimental project. And the X-59, they call it the Quest, X-59 Quest, and it's spelled with two S's for Quest and it stands for Quiet Supersonic Technology. And this is a very weird looking plane, but what it achieves is supersonic flight, I believe from Mach 1 to Mach 1.3, but it does it as a thump. And this, I was doing research into this and it, it just blew my mind. They said that the thump is just as loud as 75 decibels. And you guys are like, what does that sound like? And I was like, I don't know what that sounds like either. And they were like, oh, it's, it's the same as a car door closing. Yeah, I was going to say 75 decibels is like an air conditioning run. That was like a loud air conditioner, I think. Yeah, but it's like you, you just hear it once. You're not yeah. hearing the supersonic boom, right? You're not hearing the sonic boom. Now, for those of you guys that have not experienced the sonic boom, and that's, I, I think that's quite a lot of people, um, it, it shakes your hair. <laughs> it shakes your hair. Um, it, made me, it made me cower in fear. You have to respect the sonic boom. And so it, it's something that is quite loud. It's something that shakes walls. It, it, it can shake windows. And there have been stories, I believe, Andrew, you might have read this story too, because we actually had to hear a story about this in our one of our aero classes, Air 101, I think, where a plane went supersonic over, I believe it was a school, like a, like a military school. And that school, all the windows shattered. So that, that's the power of like a sonic boom. But instead, what they're doing is they're going to limit it down to something called a sonic thump. And there is reason behind why, you know, this is happening. And it's because they want to start implementing supersonic technology into um, closer to suburban areas. A lot of this testing is done predominantly out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, if it's like Palmdale, right, China Lake, those kinds of places, those are the two places I can really point out because those are the ones that are most associated with but these places are dry lake beds that have a very small community of people living around there and they have verified airfields where they're allowed to go supersonic and create a sonic boom when approved for and so right. this is something that doesn't happen all the time i was very fortunate to hear it i think i heard three or four of it of them and i was near Ed edwards air force base and so i was fortunate to hear that um it was quite scary but this is something that is not anywhere near suburban areas. Like where we live, would it would never fly for a plane to go supersonic. It's illegal. Right. It, it literally is a federal, like it's illegal to do that. And so what's happening is they want to bring it 
into not just, you know, military planes that are able to go, but they actually want to do it commercially. So that, that kind of intertwines, I guess, with Boom Supersonic because Boom Supersonic is actually transatlantic, right? Which means it's going to be going over the ocean because it's loud, right? Right. However, imagine a world in the future where we're not just going supersonic over oceans, but we're going supersonic over continents as well. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the technology that NASA wants to bring. Yeah, and I'll follow up with that. Um, me and Johnny are actually trying to get involved in a project at school that is funded through NASA Ames, and they also are trying to reduce the uh, supersonic boom that you hear in transport. Johnny, you actually don't know about this. I never told you. What they're trying to do is they're trying to basically, because you know the sonic boom forms at the leading edge of the airfoil or the leading right. edge of the vehicle typically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is if you introduce an electrical charge on the leading edge at the same time that the sonic boom happens, occurs, mm -hmm. that you will eliminate the uh, pressure difference. And as a result, you will not get that sonic boom. Interesting. So NASA wants to, at our school's wind tunnel, at our school's supersonic wind tunnel, wants to, they have a model built. They want to put a model in the supersonic wind tunnel, electrocute the edge basically, and see if they can reduce that sound signature. Mm, interesting. That's not quite the technology that NASA, I believe this is actually, um, what is it? Which, which NASA branch is it? It's uh, the Armstrong Flight Research Center is the one that's leading this one. I might be wrong on it, but I heard about the sonic thump originally through them. And they may be one of the branches of NASA that is working on, it, if not the leading one that is. So um, I, got, I take that with a grain of salt. But what they're doing is they're doing this based off of the, the shape of the plane. That's how they're limiting the sonic boom and making it into a sonic thump. And if you guys ever take a look at the plane, it looks extremely odd. It looks like kind of like a dart in the way that it looks. And it's, it's really narrow and long in the front. And then it has something called canards, which are like an extra pair of wings that tend to usually be in the front that are like mini, mini wings. And these, the, the shape of this and the shape of the, the narrowness of the fuselage and the canard basically create uh, this. It basically helps to mitigate the sound of a sonic boom and it creates it into a sonic thump. Even though it doesn't necessarily look like it, it reminds me a lot of the X-29. Uh, X-29. Even though it you know, doesn't really share the same body profile, I think it's you know, and one of those, like you see it and it's like a NASA experimental plane, right? Like the, the yeah. 29 was just one of those really notoriously unstable aircrafts that was it paved the way for stability and controls, basically Johnny's favorite subject. And um, yeah, it, it's really a, a really cool plane as well. But back to the X-59. Yeah, well, first of all, if you guys want to look at the X-29, it looks like the pilot is flying the plane backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the, the wing is actually forward swept, which is uh, oddly enough, it's, it's really weird, but you guys should go ahead and take a look at that if you guys have the time. It's, a, it's definitely one of the weirder planes out there. But yeah, the X-59, uh, they, you know, it's a sonic thump. I, it's, it's exciting because this stuff, I believe they just tested it just this past month. I want to say within the last four weeks. And it, I, I believe it was a success. And so, uh, you know, this is again, all just technology that's just coming out that has yet to become something that's implemented in industry, 
but is something that is being pursued after. And it, it just merely has to do with the idea of supersonic flight or hypersonics, right? So it's a pretty cool idea. Um, I, I mean, if I want to go a little bit further on with the plane, it's extremely long. It, it's like for, for considering that it only pilots one person, I think, and it has Delta wings because it's going supersonic. And um, you, you guys will notice if, if you guys ever look at planes that go supersonic most of the time, um, I, unless they're fighters, and I, I want to say even some fighters have it, but a lot of planes that go supersonic tend to have Delta wings, one being the Concorde. Yeah, and the Overture is going to also be uh, a Delta wing as well, right? So Yes, yeah. Delta yep. wings are the way to go. They just perform better at high speeds. Yeah, they, that, that is the emphasis. They, they perform better at high speeds. When they're in low speed, they don't perform quite as good. So at takeoff, it's a little bit harder, which is why yeah. it's, okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if you're not good at takeoff. It's just it just matters, if, you know. If you're, yeah. you know, in, yeah, in high you're speed, only, right? You're only taking off for a short period of your flight, right? <laughs> your yeah. your flight isn't much longer. I mean, it's pretty important. Takeoff's pretty important, though. <laughs> but. You know, going back on topic, I, I wanted to say one more thing that was really cool about the X-59. And it's that they basically found out the way to mitigate the sound of the sonic boom. They found out the sonic boom has a sound signature that's similar to the shape of an N. And so if you guys have taken physics, you guys know that the best way to cancel out sound or any waves in general is to do the opposite of it. I believe I forget what the technical term is. Do you remember, Andrew? What, what? Instead of doing resonance, it's dissonance, though, right? You right. so the idea is dissonance, where you um, shoot out a sound the opposite of that, and so they're basically trying to do that thing where they're trying to, I guess, create a sound signature that could either oppose it, and I, I, I guess that's what they do with the uh, the shape of the plane. I'm not. I, I mean, I'm no ex expert, so you guys can judge me all you guys want, but. I do know that that is something that they realized and that's what they wanted to mitigate. So they wanted to mitigate that N-shaped sound, uh, sound signature that they had. And I guess they managed to do, use that data and create a design of a plane that looks like a dart. And it kind of does look like the X-29 as, as Andrew was saying. I wonder how this is getting off topic. And it's like one of those things, me and Johnny often do this, where we look at a plane and we think about how that plane performs just by looking at it so like just looking at it i'm thinking i wonder how stable the aircraft is right because you look at it and it definitely does not look like a a typical aircraft and you look at it and it, it probably doesn't have like your typical stability of an aircraft right mm -hmm. and you're the expert here so you know <laughs> you might know a little bit more than me considering you're the airplane guy but, you know, and you won't necessarily know the question to, or the answer to that, but it's just something oh, to think oh. about when you look at it, right? Wow, I'm a little bit offended that you think I don't know. I know exactly <laughs> the stability controls of the X-59, the experimental plane that actually is probably not public in terms of testing. You know, I can look at it right away and I know exactly, you know, this thing. All naturally... right, so what are you waiting for? No, I was joking about that. I, I, know. <laughs> I was going to make up a bunch of stuff, you know, some voodoo magic, but no, um, I have no idea how well the, the plane flies. I would assume that it has to be, you know, somewhat stable, right? And if not, um, yeah, there, there, there has to be stability controls aspects inside the plane, avionics-wise, that help the plane out. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, voodoo magic, stability and controls, basically synonymous. Oh, yeah. 100%. Same thing. Rocket science, 
Voodoo magic synonymous. Basically, <laughs> uh, that Johnny, that ends our segment on cool planes. Uh-huh. And I'm very excited to say we have a question this week. Oh, yeah, we do. It's actually, it's, it's a few questions wrapped in one. So okay. I guess we could, we could, I could fire them off to you. If you, unless you have anything else to say about voodoo magic and hypersonic supersonic vehicles and how. No, no I'm good. I, I think when, 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 when we say <laughs> <laughs> supersonic is going to take over the world. Yeah. Everyone thought it was AI, but it's supersonic. Hey, you know, we can't fight it. Yeah. So, I mean, once we say voodoo magic, we're basically done talking about what we were talking about. So you can, you can shoot the question at me. Now, Andrew has not, you know, shown me what the question is by any means. So I've not really... I actually just checked and it, it was sent to us relatively recently, 20 hours ago. So I, I right, just read sure. it for the first time too, as well. All right. Well, you guys are going to get, you know, the, you know, the real reaction from unfiltered. me. Unfiltered. Absolutely not. Yeah. All right. So this is from, from Jamie M. Hi, Andrew and Johnny. My name is Jamie. I'm a student at Palomar College. Is sure. that somewhere you went? No, I went to Fullerton College. That Palomar sounds, sounds familiar. It sounds pretty cool. And it sounds like it's somewhere in California. I've definitely <laughs> heard about it. So shout out to Palomar College. Says, I will be hopefully transferring to uni in about a year. I have some questions for you guys. Uh, it's actually three questions. So uh, do you want to do one at a time and you respond or you want to hear all three and then respond? Um. I'll do one at a time. Uh, how about we, you know, we both respond to it. Yeah. 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 So, oh, this is a great one for you. <laughs> oh, geez. That's scary. Number one, how important is coding for an engineering student? Oh, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's very hard. That's a very hard. Well, it's not hard. Um, so I, I come from a, a general coding background. I used to teach coding. If you like, if those of you guys out there that have listened from the beginning, I, I taught Python, I taught C++, I, I taught Java. Those are my three things that I taught. And I also taught Scratch, which is, I, I, I don't know if I'd consider that, you know, a coding language to be proud of, you know, knowing. No, like nothing bad against Scratch. It's a great program for, you know, younger kids to learn coding. However, coding is, it, it can be your friend in engineering and, 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 and in university. I think it's very beneficial to people because it not only helps you out in engineering specifically, but also helps you out in the way that you think. And I don't yes. know if I've ever said, if I've ever said this to Andrew, but when it comes to when when you code things up, you're trying to find a solution in a step by step manner. The way that I was always told this, and this is um, I, I got to shout out my friend here, Josh, because he really helped me out in understanding coding. But he, the way that he really simplified it is coding. Like a computer is not smart. A computer is like a really, really, really dumb, like four-year-old will say, that is just good at following instructions. And so if you make a mistake, then that that dumb four-year-old will make a mistake. If you do everything perfectly, that dumb four-year-old will also do everything perfectly. And so it really puts you into a mentality um, that is kind of different from how people normally think. It really makes you think literally, makes you think like a computer. So um, I think coding is really good for that aspect because I think that really can be, um, and I, I, maybe I missed mentioning this last episode in our, like what, what makes a good engineer, right? But I think that's another thing, like being able to think, you know, in, in a step-by-step manner, thinking critically in that manner. Um, and that's something that coding brings about. And also 
Um, Andrew, you and I, we, we, we code at least, at least we're on MATLAB at least two or three times a week. That's a minimum, right? That's, that's like, yeah, that's an understatement, I think. Yeah. We're so, so, I mean, and, and this could be due to us being online and it could just be, uh, because of the current state of the world, which is we're, we're in a pandemic. And so we have to do classes online. And so, uh, we're encouraged to use MATLAB. However, I think even in the instance when you're not, um, and you're maybe back in class and you don't have to be coding, I think it's still a good skill to pick up because our future is definitely going to have to do a lot more with coding than it does with understanding hardware. Um, because we're, I think we're getting to the point where we've reached, um, to a certain extent, we, we, we know how to do our hardware pretty well, but we're realizing that our software could be pretty, uh, useful and we can implement software in a much better way. Kind of like the B2, right? The B2 is software driven quite a lot, or even something that might be more applicable to other folks would be like the Tesla and it's autopilot or auto driving or self-driving, right? That's all software that, I mean, yes, it's implemented using hardware like cameras and such, but what, what are those cameras doing? It's giving data to the software to tell it how to drive or like, or telling it what is going on around it. So yeah, I think coding is a really good skill to pick up. Um, don't beat yourself up over it if you know you don't find yourself getting it and understanding it so easily. But I think it's a really good skill to have, and I would encourage folks, you know, going out and learning at least Python. I think that's a really good thing that should pick up on. How do you yeah, feel about that, I, Andrew? I agree. I think you hit everything. Um, it it's important. I feel it's not like you would you a hundred percent need to use uh, some aspect of coding, whether it be MATLAB or Python or whatever it is in in your college career as well as in your real career when you graduate mm-hmm. um but it i don't think that like i don't want anybody to get discouraged that you know is going into university and saying like i am not good at coding and is it going to be a disadvantage you you might you know struggle a little bit with some of the assignments but you could definitely push through it mm-hmm. um but basically everything that johnny said is very accurate it allows you to approach problems in a much different way um, especially if you're like really, really good at, at coding, um, you could make like pseudocode, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically to approach almost any problem you want. And that's one of my friends. He actually today helped me with pseudocode basically to work on a project that I, to, to, to solve a problem on a project I'm working on. And it's really, it's really cool to see how his mind works and like be able to map everything out. So it's really, really useful. Yeah, no, I, I entirely agree. I think <laughs> this is getting a little bit off topic, but even the way that I play board games now has dramatically changed because of the way that I approach like rules. Because those rules are basically, you know, they're technicalities, which computers are really good at doing. And yep. so, you know, that it, it really expands beyond just your education, but it really goes into the way that you think about life in general. So I think coding is very good. Yeah, especially so. you're at a JC right now. Mm-hmm. You could probably take that class, that coding, an extra coding class mm. for relatively cheap. It'd probably give you a lot. And and coding classes in JC was really fun. It's like me and Johnny actually took a really similar class, which was intro to C. Right. Where we both this wasn't we didn't go to the same college. We didn't take the same class, but we both had to make a game. At the, as our final project. And we both made games, um, C++ based games. It was really right. cool. It was super hard for me, um, but it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure all JCs offer an intro to C++ and some may even offer Java. I would recommend Python if you're going to be learning on your own, but if you can go in and take the intro class, by all means, please do so. Yes, but, I agree. Yeah, I hope we hit on all the, you know, the points. It, it, it's highly recommended, but, you know, it, it, yeah. Yes, agreed. You will use it. Definitely try to. If not, it's okay. Um, are Cal Poly's a more hands-on school than UC's? Now, everything is, seems to be not hands-on right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... I yes. would, Andrew, Andrew, you and I, you and I would agree, right? That Cal Poly's are more hands-on than UC's. Yeah. So basically the idea behind a poly is that you're going to a polytechnic university and a lot of the learning um, that you get is hands-on. And me and Johnny have firsthand experience in that. Our first semester at Cal Poly, we take three labs, four labs right off the bat. Yeah. And basically every semester after that, you're taking two or three labs, uh, two labs a semester, basically. And in some way, shape, or form, you have a very like hands-on project in some way, mm -hmm. whether mm -hmm. that be coding, whether that be building something with like an Arduino. That was one of our projects. Um, from our freshman year, if you actually go to the school as a freshman in the your first semester here, you are running the wind tunnel, and it's a really hands-on experience. You know, some places you can't do that at some right. you know other colleges. So yeah, you typically do get a much. Uh, more focused hands-on experience. We have a ton of labs at our school. Um, and so I think the general overall understanding is that a polytechnic university, you get a much more involved hands-on experience that you would at others. There are some other schools that, you know, also get involved in projects and they have really big competition teams, mm -hmm. but our school specifically has a ton of projects that they compete in nationally. Right. And I, you know, not to brag, but we also tend to place really high, if not like in top three, most of the time we compete. Right. And, and those are actually projects that are not necessarily um, student led. I think the ones that we compete that, well, actually, no, actually, no, there are, but even like our school, our final project is actually um, at like, we have a senior design project, right? Yeah. Most people know it as a capstone project. Right, a capstone project. And that is actually, we place in that as well. And yes. not all schools do capstone projects, actually, from my understanding. And, and even if they do, it's not necessarily something that's, I mean, this is my understanding from what I've heard outside, right? But they don't go out and compete either. They just, it's just something that's done internally. And so, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'm right there with you, Andrew. We do a lot of, we're supposed to at least do a lot more hands on. Um, if you guys don't know, at Cal Poly, Aerospace is the number two highest unit count major out of the whole university. And this is predominantly due to the amount of labs that we have. I think we're supposed to take over, I want to say like seven labs in order for us to graduate. Um, and, and yeah, our first year as a transfer, we came in and I, I'm assuming, uh, Jamie, was it? I'm assuming that um, Jamie, Jamie, you're, yeah. you know, if you were to come into Cal Poly or Cal Poly Pomona, if that's, you know, a possibility for you, because I noticed that you were in California, um, you, you would be working on the low speed wind tunnel. That's something you'd be working within your first year. You'd be working on our water tunnel. You'd also be working that's on right. uh, a load cell through um, one of our intro lab classes. You'd also create <laughs> a plane, I guess, out of, I forget, was it cardboard? 
and we also we also you know fly a rocket and we you know we measure you know flight time and all that stuff and that's that was just the first year and i'm pretty sure i'm still missing some like our matlab course as well which i I mean you can argue whether or not that's an actual lab but you know brutal (laughs) <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess it was, pretty- <laughs> it was hard, but yeah, you know, like we're, we're just listing things that we've done hands-on and that was our first year. And that doesn't even do justice because we actually left school before we finished out the year. And right. so, yeah, you're going to get a lot of hands-on experience. And um, specifically at Cal Poly Pomona, we have um, a high-speed wind tunnel. So we go supersonic, right? And that's really cool. So you can probably see, you know, shockwaves and 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 all the cool things that go with it. And then we also have the low speed wind tunnel where you can do testing um, on stuff if you're in senior design, right? And we also have a structures lab. We have 3D printers on here, like on campus. And we have a lot of other stuff. And I'm pretty sure, Andrew, you can probably list a lot more things as well. But we have a lot of stuff that, you know, students are able to play around with and understand um, why certain things happen the way they do instead of applying it only theoretically. Um, and I don't think UCs have that opportunity from my understanding, cause they're mostly research based. Um, and from my understanding of the friends that I've talked to at, uh, UCs, they don't have that experience like they did, like we do at Cal Poly Pomona. So. Yeah, I, I would definitely say we, that was one of the main reasons I decided to go to Cal Poly. Um, that was one of them that I really, I, I, you know, like I said, last episode, I'm a very hands-on person. So I wanted that. I thought it was really cool that, I mean, we can't do it anymore, but I thought it was super cool that you could have card access to labs and you could basically go in when you want, um, within, Mm -hmm. you know, to a certain extent and, and work on your projects. Um, right. And yeah, we have like, we have a ton of equipment. Um, and it's not only aerospace equipment, we could also go to the mechanical engineering department as much as they don't like us. Um, and we could occasionally borrow their machinery as long as, you know, they don't have basically the priority and, and, and that we won't, we agree not to like, you know, hurt ourselves or anybody else, but we, we, we try to get along most of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, we, we have a very intense and and like Johnny said, the wind tunnel, you could, you, me and Johnny next year are going to be designing a wing to put into the the low speed wind tunnel and we're going to be determined uh, testing the aerodynamic properties of this wing that isn't a usual wing right it's not a we're not looking at you know just a an anaka wing airfoil or whatever it is we're looking at a very particular custom configuration that we're going to develop and we're mm-hmm. going to determine the aerodynamic properties on it but before we even do that we have to take this um wing into the structures lab and determine, you know, static loads on it and, and make sure that the, the wing isn't going to break in the wind tunnel. So this is all part of the, the process at, you know, CPP. I'm sure other schools have some form of it, but it's just our, what we know from our experience, our school is very hands-on with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So um, hopefully that answers a question of whether or not Cal Poly is a more hands-on school than the UCs. I strongly believe so. I have not, you know, been to a UC myself, but my understanding of um, other students that are at UC specifically for aerospace um, and also other engineering courses, they they do not have that hands-on approach that we we actually do have, which is very fortunate of us. And also, our school happens to be, I believe, cheaper than most UCs as well. So, yeah, it's um, I, I feel like it's a win-win situation there if you're really trying to get um, a deep understanding of things with 
and it, it might be even, you know, some people are visual learners and that's like a very handy thing to have at Cal Poly, like, or it's something that works for us. Cause I, I think I'm more of a visual learner. And when I see it actually happen in front of me, it's a lot easier for me to understand the concept afterwards. So yeah, I, I believe Cal Poly's are more hands-on than UCs, but you know, if there's anyone out there that disagrees with us and would like to say that, no, I've been really hands-on, then um, we're all ears to that too. We'd love to hear about the community around us as well. So yeah, send us an know. email. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually wanted to, you know, ask the last question to you, Andrew, because I actually took a look at this email now. And I feel like you might be able to better answer than I do. And so the last question is, what are other companies that you can work for that are similar to NASA and SpaceX? That's a great question. Um, I didn't even really read this one. Uh, okay. So there's, it depends on what you do. I'm assuming based on, you know, you say NASA and SpaceX, you really want to go into the astro and go mm -hmm. into space sector. Um, of course, SpaceX is probably the leader in, you know, privatizing rockets and will continue to do so. But, you know, there's other companies like Blue Origin who basically are their comp direct competitors that are, are building rockets too that also have different purposes, right? They all have, you know, different goals in, in, in mind. And that's, we could, that's an episode in itself. Um, you know, what's the difference between SpaceX and Blue Origin? And what, what are they doing differently? What are they doing the same? But, um, you know, you could work for, even as you, if you work for NASA, like, like you could see with NASA JPL, um, NASA, you, ha you have a lot of different career paths to go down in NASA. Mm -hmm. um, you have other companies like ULA, United Launch Alliance, who are, they put, they actually put the rover into orbit. Um, right. And United Launch Alliance has been one of the most historic launch companies in, in the United States because they've been so successful and they've had so many great developments and they're continuing to develop new rockets to this day. Um, they have a, a future as well. They want to go to Mars basically. Um, so you see all these new uh, ULA is not new, but you also see other new companies popping up like Electron. Um, Electron or yeah, Electron is, is, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's really cool carbon fiber composite rocket. Um, it's, a, uh, as far as I know, it's a non-reusable, pretty, pretty cool rocket mm -hmm. that wants to cut the cost of putting stuff into low earth orbit. So you see all these companies kind of popping up in, um, the aerospace sector that really have different missions and plans. Right. Um, and so, and, and it doesn't even end there. You could work for oh, all I these mean, companies and do so companies. many different things, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Northrop Grumman, they have a, uh, a space sector that does a lot of satellite integration mm -hmm. and, and missions. They also have recently, I think, bought out. Uh, I, I, I did hear about this. I, I mean, I don't quite remember either, but I know that they, the, they are now the largest producers of solid rocket motors in the United States. Um, and so that's a huge thing. They, they overtook a company. They bought out the company. I, I forgot exactly who it is. You might be able to find it, um, but they're now the largest producers of solid rocket boosters. And so those will likely be, you know, used in the next maybe moon mission, maybe Mars. We'll see. Um, it remains to be seen, mm -hmm. but there's with all these companies, you could do so many different things. You could do satellites, you could do rockets, you could do um, whatever it is, you know, you could do rovers if you want to do JPL or whatever it is. Um, there's so much involved. You could, 
you could spend your whole career working on something, you know, pretty amazing. And it could be really refined down to like one very specific topic, or you could spend your whole career doing something different, you know, at, at, at different levels. Um, it really, really, you could do a lot, right. Mm -hmm. You would, and I think you would agree with that. Oh yeah. Um, you know, every single company that I can think of that does aerospace, you know, especially the big ones, they definitely have dipped their toes into space as well. So, you know, Lockheed Martin, North Grumman, Boeing, um, Aerojet Rocketdyne, you know, all these companies, they, they've definitely dipped their toes into this. So it, it looks like you, Jamie, are really interested in space, um, which no hard feelings on my end, first of all, right? But yeah, like it, if you, you know, get it, you know, if you just shock in it, you know, you're, you're probably going to find a company that is similar to NASA and SpaceX. Um, if you're talking about culturally, all of these companies are extremely different. NASA is extremely different from SpaceX, as oh, yeah. uh, you will hear. So, I, I mean, hopefully you're not talking about the cultural aspect, but, you know, all these companies definitely can offer you some aspect of space. Um, as, J as, um, as Andrew was saying, even Northrop Grumman, I, I believe they actually have a part in the James Webb telescope that they're about to put up in October. And, yeah. and, you know, that's a very, very big project. It's, it's going to be bigger than the Hubble and the Hubble is pretty well known. You, you ask a random air, you know, a person in the U S they possibly might know about the Hubble telescope because of the, the amount of pictures that we got from it and the amount of data that we were able to pull. So yeah, like, um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be just NASA and SpaceX though. They, you know, NASA has a lot of old history behind them. And SpaceX is really making a lot of crazy things happen, you know, with Starship and, you know, with the Falcons, right? But um, a lot of these companies can really offer you what you are looking for, um, you know, if, if you do apply and, 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 you know, they take you on as, as someone, you know, that would be an employee. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully that answers that. Is there something else you want to add on to that, Andrew? No, yeah, uh, just a really good point about, like, even de defense companies, like you said, mm -hmm. like Lockheed, Northrop, primarily defense companies, they have a part in, you know, Oh yeah, in space. Um, the national team is a collaboration between Blue, Blue Origin, SpaceX, Lockheed Martin, and Northrop, all de designing different stages and components for the next moon mission. Um, right. So they all play a vital role in basically. And and I, I botched the name before. Electron is actually the name of the rocket, but the company that's developing it is, is Rocket Lab. And uh, they have a really cool rocket, super sleek, really awesome stuff they're doing too. Yeah. So you can take a shot at any company and you'll basically be able to, you know, find a company that, you know, fits that, um, I guess, you know, what you're looking for. I mean, they've, a lot of these companies actually have been doing it for quite a while. Cause I know Lockheed Martin actually created the external tank for the space shuttle as well, the orange tank. So they've been doing space stuff. So yeah, I mean, you can take your pick and. You'll most likely end up in a company that, you know, does space and does this, does exactly what, what you want to be working in for hopefully the rest of your life. I agree. I agree. Yeah. That was a really three, really good questions. We hope we answered them to yeah. our fullest capability. And we yeah, hope thank you, you're, Jamie. you're content with those answers. Johnny, why don't you send it off? For, wait, we didn't drop the email. I'm sorry. How could I forget? <laughs> It's all good. Yeah. If you have any questions, email us at airaholicsanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. We're glad to take them. We're, we get pretty excited, as you can see, when we uh, when we get them in. So now you want to send us off on yeah. our grand voyage. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you guys had a great time listening in. Thank you guys for you know making it to this point. 
And I hope to see you guys next time. Andrew and I both do. I guess we're out. Later, guys.